0: And from the Christian scriptures, a well-known story from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who comes from God, for no one can do the signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered Nicodemus, truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can anyone be born after growing old? Can one enter the womb a second time? Jesus said, truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless one is born of the water and the spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Please pray with me. This is a prayer of Christina Rossetti. O God, the Holy Ghost, as the wind is thy symbol, so forward our goings. As the dove, so launch us heavenwards. As water, so purify our spirits. As a cloud, so abate our temptations. As dew, so revive our languor. As fire, so purge our dross. Amen. Well, as I've been saying during the season of Epiphany at Kenilworth Union Church for the ancient Greeks, earth, wind, fire, and water were the basic building blocks of the universe. Everything we touch and see is composed of earth, wind, fire, and water. And they were so important to the ancient Greeks, practically and theologically, that the Greeks turned them into quasi-divinities or demigods. They deified them. They gave them names. They personified them. And we still do this today, right? You know that fierce blast that assaults you when you're walking down one of the east-west skyscraper alleys in the Windy City during the polar vortex? That wind has a name. That wind is called the hawk. You know, the fierce gale that sent the 728-foot Edmund Fitzgerald to the bottom of Lake Superior in 1975 has a name. It is called the Witch of November. That breeze is so terrifying she gets a name. Now, the Hebrews were arch-monotheists, of course, and they didn't deify anything except for the one true God, Yahweh, so they turned earth, wind, water, and fire into images of the one true God. Take wind. There's this leader of the Jews, this Pharisee named Nicodemus. Thomas Wolfe would have called him a master of the universe. He was an attorney. He was on the board of trustees for the Jerusalem temple, and he was a congressman. He was Meg Ravord or John Van Gorp, successful in everything he does. But Meg and John have met Jesus. Nicodemus has not met Jesus yet. And there's something missing. So he goes to this controversial rabbi and he said, what's wrong, rabbi? And Jesus is glad to tell him, Nicodemus, you must be born from above. You must be born of water and the spirit. The wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's going or where it came from. So it is with the spirit. The wind blows where it goes. And so this is a perfect symbol for divinity, right? In almost every religion, it's true. In all of these ancient languages, wind and air and breath and spirit are virtually synonymous. Say wind, say God. Say spirit, say air. The Hebrew word for spirit and air and breath And wind is the guttural, onomatopoetic hruach. It's way back in the throat. Hruach. And so Genesis tells us that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. ruach. The air in our lungs is the breath of God, according to the Bible anyway. In Latin, likewise, wind and air and spirit are, surprise, spiritus, from which we get English words like respiration and inspiration and conspiracy and conspire. To conspire is literally to breathe together. In Greek, it's pneuma with that silent P at the beginning where we get our English words pneumatic tube or pneumatic drill, something powered by air and pneumonia, a disease of the lungs, in these three ancient languages, wind or breath or air were more than metaphors for God. They were God. It's God who moves the branches on the trees. To say ruach or numa or spiritus was to say God. Go ahead, take a deep breath. Fill your lungs with God. For the ancients, God, God's spirit was like the air, the medium in which we live and move and breathe and have our being. Air, of course, is to human beings what water is to fish. We're just in it. We can't see it. If we could see it, it would be all that we could see. We would see nothing else. You've heard the story about the kindergarten teacher who asked her students to draw a a picture of anything they wanted, anything they wanted, And so they got busy and she wandered around the classroom watching what her kids were up to. And she stopped at one little girl's desk and she says, honey, what are you drawing? And the little girl says, I'm drawing God. And the teacher says, but honey, no one knows what God looks like. And the little girl said, they will in a minute. (laughs) It was God who invisibly but tangibly rustled the tree branches Gently brushed your cheek on a sweltering summer day. Danced with your first love's golden hair at the beach. Delivered the life-giving rains. Filled the sailor's spinnaker. Or wrecked his ship on the unforgiving rocks. Wind was spirit. Wind was God. So it's an apt image for God because air is the invisible medium in which we live and move and breathe and have our being. Also, wind is a clever sculptor of the landscape, yes? Everything we can see, the elevations and contours of our earth, of our topography, was created by the air. A little bit by the erosion of water and around here by glaciers, but mostly the air shaped everything we see around us. And you notice this especially when you travel to Utah and see those improbable, those spectacular, but improbable rock formations at arches or canyon lands, right, or closer to home. You visit Indiana Dunes or Sleeping Bear Dunes, and you realize that over the eons of time, the wind has assaulted apparently invincible rock and turned it into towering piles of silicon microcrystals. Yes? 450 feet high at sleeping bear dunes. As the wind sculpts the landscape, so the spirit can sculpt your soul, if you let it. Who or what sculpts the landscape of your character? Is it the world or the spirit? You know, we ordinarily good people need to be very careful about who sculpts our soul. If we let the group sculpt our character, or peer pressure, or the zeitgeist, or unworthy taskmasters, it's astonishing what we're capable of, yes? Have you ever let your fraternity brothers talk you into something stupid or mean? Have you ever let the mean girls at high school talk you into clicking up and excluding the odd? Under the leadership of Adolf Hitler in the 1930s, a cheap, racist nationalism destroyed the soul of an entire nation. How did this happen? Tomorrow, January 27th, is the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. How did that happen? How did a whole, uh, characters, a whole nation's character get warped into this monstrosity? And yet there were people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, right? Who answered to a higher influence? He told the truth and refused to participate in the demonization of the Jews? Platoon loyalty convinces American soldiers to keep silent about war crimes. In Iraq and in Vietnam, at My Lai in 1968, typical young American soldiers participated in or stood idly by or kept silent about the massacre of an entire village of peasants, except for that helicopter pilot, right? And his gunman landed that helicopter right in the middle of the slaughter, and stopped it and brought it to the light of day. I have no idea if those people believe in God, but their souls were sculpted by the spirit, the wind of righteousness. So air and wind are apt images for God because they're the invisible media in which we live and breathe and have our being, and also because they're clever sculptors of the landscape of the earth or of our souls. And also because wind is not earned but given. Yes, you can't summon it. You can't call it up or shout it down. The wind bloweth where it listeth, says Jesus. You hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's going or where it's coming from. In modern English, the wind blows where it goes. It's a gift. You can't earn it. Inspiration cannot be achieved, it just comes or not. And this is what makes art and music, the composition of music, and authorship, and creativity and ingenuity, and shrewd corporate problem solving, such difficult disciplines. It's because great ideas are mostly given, not earned. Right? Newton, bopped on the head with an apple, gravity. Darwin, fooling around with finches and tortoises in the Galapagos, origin of species. Einstein, what would a beam of light look like if I were running alongside it? Relativity. Bill Gates, files, folders, windows, a trillion dollars. Steve Jobs, a simple, elegant, minimalist device with one button iPhone, iPod, iPad, iTunes, another trillion dollars. These inspirations are from Spiritus. They are given, not earned. When we were in Edinburgh with a few of you last fall, we saw the Elephant House. Anybody been to the Elephant House? It's just a modest little neighborhood pub, but it's one of the most popular tourist attractions in Scotland these days because it's the neighborhood Cheers place where J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Now she know this great story. She was so poor she was on public assistance. She lived in this modest little flat that was too chilly, so she fled to this Cheers-like place to write her book. She finally found a publisher in 1996. They paid her the princely sum of $2,500 as an advance. At her first public reading of her books, two people showed up. The bookstore employees had to fill the empty chairs. Now, she is the richest woman in the UK, richer than the queen, though the queen might be catching up now that she has two fewer (laughs) adult but dependent grandchildren to support. Did you ever wonder where Hogwarts came from? How this whole world, all these weird creatures, how'd she get that genius idea? She says, once she was riding on a train to London and she was looking out the window at a field full of cows and this idea came to her. Boy doesn't know he's a wizard, goes to wizard school. That was it, whole world snapped into being. She does not know even to this day where that idea came from. She says, I have the feeling that I, that idea was floating around in that train just looking for somebody to land on. And my mind was so empty, it just decided to zoom in on me. Inspiration, great ideas, they're given, not earned. The wind blows where it goes. Harry Emerson Fosdick says that on the coast of Maine, a little boy asked an old sailor, sir, can you make the wind blow where you want it to? And the sailor said, no, son, I can't make the wind go where I want it to, but I can hoist a sail. We can be in the way when the Spirit comes, yes? The wind bloweth where it listeth. The wind goes where it goes. But we can be in the way And so at any instant, at any instant a fresh breeze might flick your cheek, any instant you might find yourself ready to love your enemies, say no to the crowd, refuse to participate in some dishonor you can't be a part of, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, mend a broken heart, love the unlovely, or welcome the wandering prodigal home. It could happen at any moment.